Yo, 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 what's up? It's your boy, Henry. And it's your girl, Elise. And we are two ASEAN baristas who are reorienting specialty coffee and rethinking Robusta by representing ASEAN cultures. Mm. And here we are with a special episode. Sorry it took so long. It's been a crazy last yeah, month for me. Elise was uh, traveling and I was moving. It was a lot for both of us. Yeah, um, just some like context to my parents both got COVID and mm. so I had to travel and like go take care of my family for a bit so that's why it's taken us a, a second to respect to you know <laughs> do Ours, an episode yes, but BCT. we're back and then I moved so and Henry uh, moved. we were like yeah we, we we've had a lot going on but we, we're still friends <laughs> that's the most important part so we just had to take some time for ourselves but you know what we didn't forget about you we love you guys we love you so Loves, much as our friend Steve would say Loves. We loves you guys. Also, why are the lights off in here? It's fine. So today we are <laughs> today we're talking about a special country, and it's a, a very interesting episode because technically this country doesn't grow coffee, but we are talking about Japan. Japan. Naruto. Sasuke. Sorry. Anime. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the birthplace of anime. What's your favorite anime? Our one true love. My favorite anime? Of all time. Sailor Moon. No, no Okay, doubt. really? Yeah, hands yes, down, I love Sailor sure. Moon. But recently I've been watching Horimiya. Oh my gosh, I've heard everyone. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Everyone says your reactions to that show <laughs> is what drives them to watch it more. <laughs> it's such a good show. I'm a Stein's Gate fan, but I would say I really do love One Piece, despite it being really long. If you haven't realized by now, though, Henry and I are huge anime fans, and we just have a huge appreciation for Japanese culture. But especially, oh, yeah. especially like me tapping into my like Japanese Okinawan roots, it's especially important for me. So um, anyway, so with the uh, start of it, we always go into our barista of the week. <laughs> so our barista of the week is Hiroki Ito. And I'm super proud of myself because I actually tried teaching myself J Japanese. Um, I was in like middle school. So my pronunciation, I feel like is decent. It's like, okay. Elise you know? is going to pronounce everything in this episode. Yes, because I'm... I've never been good. <laughs> I was good at the, at the Thailand ones. You were good once. at Naruto. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's not Naruto, and if you think it's Naruto, I'm so sorry, you're wrong. It's Naruto. Anyway, so... Uzumaki. <laughs> so Hiroki Ito is a barista at Sarutahiko Coffee, which is in Tokyo. He was Japan's latte art champion in 2019, took, taking first place Ooh, out of all the baristas represent. in Japan, which is going to come into play later. That's a huge success. And was the world latte... Uh, placed fifth in the World Latte Art Championship in 2019. So that same year. Which same is really year. good still. Dude, that's incredible. Out of all the entire out of world. Out of all the countries. Out of all the countries. Out that, of all 36. <laughs> what? Is there, I don't know how many countries there are. <laughs> it's definitely not 36. <laughs> it's Kevin Durant's old number, so that's the number, I guess. <laughs> it's definitely not 36. <laughs> well, fifth place is really good. <laughs> fifth place is incredible out of all the many, many countries. So, um... Shout out to Hiroki. We're going to uh, link his Instagram in the show notes and Saruta Hiko Coffee, which we will also link later and talk about later. So, but today on In Our Kalita Cup, we Kalita are Co. drinking. So I mentioned earlier, Japan actually doesn't grow coffee. They uh, import a lot of coffee from other different regions of the world. So today we're actually just going to feature uh, a friend of ours um, from Cosmic Dust Roasters out in California. San Jose. And San Jose. And Elise actually got to meet the owner yeah. of Cosmic Dust a few yeah. weeks ago, which is so cool. Jenny is uh, great. So it's actually a, a female-owned roasting company, yes. uh, small batch. Um, it's just basically her that's doing all that. But Jenny operates Cosmic Dust on her own. Um, and 
we are drinking her Helios, um, which is from Colombia, and you can talk about it. Colombia Natural. Uh, it is a white wine fermentation processed coffee. Actually, I was curious as to know what that meant. I don't know if it sits in, the, in white wine or it's processed in it. Um, I want to say it, it does sit in white wine. It does in it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. We mm-hmm. cupped it a couple weeks ago, and I really enjoyed the aftertaste to it. it the notes on it say dark berries and stone fruit. You can definitely get the stone fruit. Um, and it is it is quite, like, tart in, in the sense of, like, getting those berries. I actually get a lot more, like, blueberry, personally. Um, but it's super, super good. When it tastes I'm, like... Sorry, I interrupted you. Go. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> I really, to me, it, like I've I've really been eating a lot of grapes because I need to eat healthy, and I don't know. It literally it tastes like red grapes to me, mm. um, and it almost has just like I'm taking a sip. Okay, I know like this is weird, but it, it has like this like high C like body to it. You ever drink oh, high C as yeah. a kid? Wow, that was like my one of my favorite drinks. <laughs> so like so it's, it's super citrusy, but like body is like super qualitative in coffee it's like the mouth feel mm-hmm. and so like that's why like whenever we talk about like bodies we might say it has like a milk body or a tea body so yeah. it's kind of like high sea body so <laughs> it has a high sea body or a sunny d body or capri sun capri sun oh, um but jenny's great so uh when i got the chance to meet up with her in san jose when i visited california this past month um she was so kind to gift us uh a couple of her coffees to try so helios is just one of her many coffees so Check out Cosmic Dust and uh, Jenny. She's so great. We love her. And um, keep an eye out for any f- for a future collaboration Futures, that's yes. in the works with and Cosmic Dust. And she loves Sailor Moon, too. And she loves Sailor Moon, too, which I also really appreciate and enjoy. So, anyway, needless to say, I'm a big fan of hers. Yes. <laughs> but let's talk about coffee in Japan. Yeah. So It's interesting. It's super interesting. Henry, why don't you go through this little timeline? Yeah. So, so we'll go through coffee, the kind of the coffee timeline and whatnot. So, in the 1700s, coffee arrived in Japan from Dutch traders, which is interesting because a lot of, I think a lot of the history of coffee comes from the Dutch. Right. Um, they were the first people to steal coffee from the Ethiopian Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it arrived in uh, Dejima, Nagasaki. In Nagasaki. So, I knew I could say that. Sorry. Um, coffee migration to Japan was advanced through uh, medicinal application near foreign settlements and as a stimulant used by prostitutes in Nagasaki. What? Yeah. Wait, explain that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it was a fun fact, I guess. So, apparently, I guess just like prostitutes in Nagasaki were being pumped with coffee and like caffeine to keep them. It's like how when we talked about coffee coming to the United States, like instant coffee, and it, yeah. it was like, it's not like the reason why the union won against the confederacy but it is definitely like a reason why or contributing factor to it's kind of like that you know okay interesting very odd fun fact and a lot of what we've seen in the japanese coffee history is that and even similar to like thailand like i think a lot of japanese coffee culture they thought the dutch coffee and french coffee was too bitter right right and so which which is just a a beautiful attest to like i guess asian palates of not enjoying bitter tasting things Mm. but then we see in the 1860s coffee was introduced in the countryside in the form of infused sugar balls known as um to be added to hot water and then in the is it the meiji 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 period sorry Mm. see i'm gonna look at elise (laughs) when a word comes up that i cannot pronounce because yeah uh, and the, the Meiji period, which mm-hmm. is 1868 to 1912, so this is after the 1860s um, or late 1860s, coffee started to spread throughout Japan together with the yearning for Western culture, which seems to be the the theme mm-hmm. that we will. I was kind of like similar to China when students would like go to university yep. and they would come back and they're like, wow, 
we just experienced you know, European coffee at shops. Let's, we want to introduce that to our people today, which that was kind of later in China, but it seems like Japanese coffee culture was much earlier. Because mm-hmm. we see in 1888, the first coffee house or cafe in Japan was called... Kahi Chakan. Kahi Chakan. And it was established by... <laughs> Surukichi Nishimura, also known as A.K. Tei. A.K. Tei. It's going to sound really bad, but I read that as Entei, like from Pokemon. <laughs> A.K. 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 I can say that. That's E-I-K-E-I-T-E-I. Yep. A.K. Um, and the goal of, of when he started this shop, so he started this first shop in 1888... He says, and I quote, he wanted to, he was doing something for the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Again, that was kind of the audience in coffee. Doing something for the younger generation by opening a coffee house, which would be a space to share knowledge, a social salon where ordinary people, students, and youth could gather together. Um, the two-story Western-style house, the key, he modeled it after a French shop that, from what I read, mm-hmm. offered reasonable prices. Reasonably priced coffee with newspapers, leather chairs, pool tables, mm. desks, stationery, ba- baths, and even rooms where patrons could nap. Um, wow, that's awesome. Which is super cool because I feel like... That sounds like a great place. <laughs> I know. I feel like a lot of coffee, a lot of the, like, um, at least American-style coffee shops are, very, are like, study spaces, right? Definitely. Collaborative works. And I feel like recently we've seen, like where coffee shops are also bars now. But it's mm-hmm. really cool that you can see that there's pool tables, there's there's baths, and I guess it's like a salon almost. Yeah, but the fact that you can even, like, there was rooms where you could just nap, I mean, mm-hmm. that's so great. And then you wake up and there's already a place where you can just get coffee. Like, that's the dream right there. Yeah. And I feel like the culture that we will continue to unpack uh, surrounding coffee in Japan is very much this, like, come into my home and let's share a cup of coffee together. Whereas I do think a lot of like American coffee culture is very much like the takeaway culture, like grab it into go cups and like you're drinking it on your way to work. Right. Or like it's a midday pick me up. Yeah. I feel like during your young adult years when people are at university and whatnot, they they do it to study, but then once they finish that, they're like, Oh, I don't study anymore. So yeah, Yeah. um, but sadly this shop closed down only after a few years. Mind you, again, this was still in like the 18, 1800s or late 1800s, yeah. and so that was that's really unfortunate. Um, yeah. I, w- I was curious. Oh, I wonder why they closed down. It could have been a money thing because again, coffee wasn't mm-hmm. that popular. Which it seems like he really he the coffee shop culture. This guy that started this, it's almost like a prophecy of what specialty coffee mm-hmm. is now. Because now coffee mm-hmm. shops are really into like not just being coffee, but offering another service that sometimes yeah. there's music or... Like a space. A space, yep. exactly. Definitely. It also feels like a clubhouse, like when you go to, um, like, uh, apartment complexes or, like, townhomes, you know, it's like... Oh, like a free house. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had a free house. Was no girls allowed. <laughs> anyway. Except for Melissa Flores at Crush Hunter. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? She's not going to listen to this. She kissed me on the nose in the second grade. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I actually really love that so much. Um, <laughs> anyway. But yeah, but not long after the Mehi, is it Meiji? No, Meiji. Meiji, I already forgot it. Coffee started to gain popularity. Um, and one after the other, coffee shops started to spring up all around Tokyo. Most of them were located in, in the sophisticated Ginza? Ginza district. Ginza district, mm-hmm. frequented by many artists and influential people. And so it seems like coffee was beginning to be big. Mm-hmm. But then something happened. 
Uh, you want to talk about that, Elise? Yeah. So, again, this is 1900s now. This is yeah. early 1900s, roughly. And then after Japan's participation in World War II, so obviously this is a big conflict uh, point, the country, Japan, implemented a ban on all coffee imports because of their Western influence. So remember, too, like, you know, Japan being in World War II, like, obviously there's a lot of tension as far as, like, World War II goes between the United States and Japan, but also, like, Japan was very much... Um, Imperial Japan, right? So it was like trying to be elitist and spread unity, quote unquote, unity. That's so wild. The coffee was banned. Yeah. So, but they wanted to kind of like get rid of all Western influence, including coffee. So it wasn't until the 1960s. So almost what, like 10, 12 years? 10, 15 years, yeah. yeah. World after, War II ended in like 44. Right, yeah. So, so um, like 16 years, something like that. So almost, yeah, 20 years after the war. Um, 1960s, the ban was completely lifted and coffee beans, roasted or unroasted, as well as instant coffee, could be freely imported. So, in the 1960s, the spread of instant coffee in Japan, um, at this time, coffee was still like a luxury product, so it was mainly consumed by the upper class, but when the economy uh, in the in Japan started to bloom, especially, coffee became increasingly more accessible and huh. affordable after the ban was lifted. So people could find it at regular uh, hotels and cafes, and instant coffee found a, a permanent home in like people's homes, basically. So there was increase in influence from the West after the war as well, and so most people in Japan found that it paired well with with food dishes, like Western okay. Western dishes. so You know what's wild? I feel like uh, I'm thinking of the shop that started, you know, in, in the 1800s with coffee. It's almost like, this is the word I was looking for, it's almost like he started a third wave shop mm, mm-hmm, 200 mm-hmm. or 100 years before the third wave coffee movement. Yep. And that's not saying, like, obviously they didn't have the, the incredible brew methods that we that we have now and the, and the brewing devices that we'll talk about later. But he had the, he had the idea in mind to create a space of making coffee specialty and accessible, but it just didn't take off at the time. Because I think people, I just don't think, because people were so upset with bitter coffee making it sweet, they they didn't have the idea of using brew methods yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this Which brings Japan us, contributed to. So. Yeah. So this brings us to something called kisaten. So kisaten is a traditional Japanese tea room, uh, which are super integral to Japanese culture. Um, so they typically serve tea and sweets, but they mostly also offer coffee, um, sandwiches, and like light meals and stuff. So actually, there's a, a tea garden in, J- in well, in Japan, duh, but also in um, the America Jap- Japanese tea garden in oh. San Francisco. Oh, sorry, San Francisco. I could I not confused. figure out my words. San Francisco. San Francisco. Y'all call it SF there. No, we call it the city because it's the only city that matters. Wait, really? What about DC? <laughs> Actually, yeah. No, we call it the city. Hello, that's so far from us. Why don't we call it that? I have DC near me. Anyway. We have the mall. <laughs> but it's not an actual mall. It's grass. <laughs> so, Kisaten, the design and atmosphere of these considered to be specialty cafes, uh, differ, but usually the attitude is towards craftsmanship and an <clears throat> immense love for coffee do overlap with that, huh. that craftsmanship. So... After World War II ended, um, the limited access to goods and imports finally became available, and the Japanese were eager to embrace the Western culture. And so coffee uh, was now, again, remember that ban lifted. So uh, they started bringing in coffee into the kisaten, which is that, again, that integral part of the culture. So 
In addition to serving tea, they started to sell coffee. And so the Kisaten dominated the coffee market. And at one point, they served 90% of the any coffee that was imported. Whoa. So if you wanted to drink coffee, you needed to go to a Kisaten. Whoa, that's so, I didn't even know that either. Yeah. The way we do research is like very. It's very like last minute and not last it's minute. Not last minute, I would say that. No, well, it's just because it's last minute doesn't mean it's not thorough. Very true. It's just like, it's sporadic. We're kind of just like, all right, we're just going to do a bunch of brain dump research each, and then we bring it together. Like, like I think a lot of, I think you and I both like look at our lot of, a bunch of articles. We're like, that's an interesting fact. Copy, paste, put that in, then like, we'll read it. And then when we like actually sit down to talk about it, we're like, we're really reading it, like comprehending it. And we're like, whoa, that's so cool, you know? Yeah, a lot of the things, it's like, it's even like at least find something and it's the first time I'm hearing it because she's yeah, got information. True. So that's why I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, we, we kind of collaborate on it. But anyway, yeah, so 90% of the imported coffee, you have to go to a Kisaten in order to drink it. And remember, this is still after World War II, so it's still in like the latter half of the 19th, I mean, sorry, 20th century. And so in the years that followed, the Kisaten involved into sorry, evolved into two main types. One incorporated the entertainment for customers, and so these were the beginning of, like, maid and manga cafes. Oh. <laughs> Super interesting. Okay, you know what I thought? Remember when coffee was banned? I wonder if there was, like, underground secret coffee shops. <gasps> like a speakeasy when like alcohol was banned? speakeasy, yo. Whoa, that's so cool. So. I do wonder that, actually. Because, again, coffee is not grown in Japan. There. And we're going to talk about why that's the case don't in they have a sec. Like, don't they have, like, a farm, though? Isn't there, like, one farm in Japan? We're going to talk about that okay, in a sorry, sec. Okay, sorry, spoiler. <laughs> I, read, I read the end of the book before. <laughs> that's what I just did to Stop. you guys. <laughs> and so, anyway, that was the origin of maid cafes and, like, manga cafes. But the other type of cafe, or kisaten, focused on perfecting the art of coffee making, which I think right here is what you were talking about earlier, yes. like, beginning of the third wave coffee movement. Um, I love stuff. That oh, we're, my gosh. This so, is incredible. So they focused on bean profiles and roasting processes and only used high quality um, beans on the market and they sought better brew methods and associate, we tend to associate these traits with third wave, uh, the third wave of coffee, but the Japanese kisaten have been practicing them for generations. Yeah. And like, this is, this chunk right here that we're about to talk about, Mm -hmm. a lot of this is kind of the reason why we started Asian Coffee Co., you know, we'd always mm-hmm. talked mm-hmm. about that, yeah, like coffee was found in the black culture, yep. but Asian culture has like invested heavily into it. And yep. I think right here, like even though Japan doesn't necessarily grow coffee, like they've invested so much. Yeah. Right. And, and we're going to exactly see why. So first we have one of the most famous companies. It's Hario, mm. a Japanese coffee product company actually founded in Tokyo in 1921. So before World War II. And they started by producing and selling physical and chemical use glass products. And after years of research, they produced Hario glass, which is 100% natural minerals, to refine heat, uh, refine heat-proof glass, making it environmental friend- environmentally friendly. Love it. Love and then it. in 1949, Hario launched its first home product, a glass filter coffee siphon. Wow. And as we know today, uh, they also had, in 1957, they had the cloth filter siphon. This is a brew method that we have today. Mm-hmm. The siphon is incredible. It's a vacuum seal pot. And you have one, right? I also have a siphon. Mm-hmm. I have the Hario siphon, actually. Oh, really? And, oh, there you oh, go. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> it it pr- produces really high body cups. I don't necessarily think it'll, it creates, like, a brighter cup for lighter roast coffee. It's which really is, clean, which, though. Yeah, it's clean, yeah. Yeah. So Hario eventually created something else that I'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but Siphon is great. I was actually just watching, I was rewatching One Piece uh, about a month ago in the Punk Hazard arc. Uh, this isn't a spoiler, but one of the, the characters, Monette, 
was making coffee out of uh, out of a siphon. No way, really? Yeah. What? And That's I sent so cool. I sent it to I think I thought I sent it to you on Snapchat or Instagram. No, no. I'm pretty sure I did. Maybe you did. I did. Yeah. No, I totally did. I sent it to you because I was like, you, Youngdale, and Jimmy, our owner, would get this because they watch anime. Yeah. And so I was like, it was like when 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 anime meets specialty coffee. <laughs> but they've been doing it for centuries. I know, which is so cool. Um. And then we see one of the most popular brew methods we have to date. So mm-hmm. we have the siphon. Then we have the V60. Love it. So the V60 was kind of created in 1950, but finalized in 2004, which is so recent. It's a long time, though, of, of you know product testing and like yeah. trial and error and stuff, which so, is crazy. So V60 is a cone-shaped. Uh, they have ceramic. They have metal. They have plastic. They have different types mm-hmm. of uh, material that it's made out of. But it's basically a cone-shaped brewing method at a 60-degree angle with these kind of ridges almost uh, that help hold the filter and help kind of the water rate in the coffee. And these are coffees that, or this brew method, you can really create bright coffees. You can really bring out natural mm-hmm. notes that come out of the coffees. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you go to any specialty shop, nine times out of 10, if they offer pour over, they're probably using mm-hmm. a V60. <clears throat> we used to use V60 here at the shop. And I mean, I would say if you're getting into pour overs or any percolation, we talked about this in Coffee 101, mm-hmm. it is like, a standard at-home brew method. Yeah, and if you guys still want to learn more about different brew methods, definitely go back and listen to our most recent Coffee 101 episode where we talk about different brew methods, but the V60 is definitely one of our personal favorites, um, but Henry is going to mention uh, another personal favorite. Another personal favorite, the Kalita Wave. This is another recent one. In 2010, it was founded by Kalitico, which was created in the 1950s. The Kalita Wave is a flat bottom filter. So remember I said mm-hmm. the V60 is a cone. Think of like the V60 looks like a V, mm-hmm. whereas the Kalita Wave looks like it has a flat at the bottom as opposed to like the pointy end on a V. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like how you're showing people. But I'm showing, I'm, I have a V up with my fingers with the leaves. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Kalita Wave actually is probably a lot easier to use in a V60 because of the flat bottom. So you have an even extraction, even balance of coffee. So it's super easy to pour, especially if you're new to pour overs. Honestly, if anyone's new, new to coffee and new to wanting to make it at home, if they want to go beyond like a French press, I always recommend a Kalita Wave or yeah. an AeroPress. Those Super are like easy. my top two. Yeah. Uh, we also have the Origami Dripper, which is a personal favorite of mine as well because it's so beautiful. Um, and it was designed by the founder of Trunk Coffee and Origami in Japan. Which is in Japan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So It's sick. It's sick. It looks like a V60, but it has these ridges mm-hmm. that go around, that, again, that help yeah. flow rate. And you can use a Kalita or a V60 filter. Yeah, and it does... The reason why I think they call it origami, too, is it looks like... So it's typically ceramic, right? Yeah, typically ceramic. But it looks like the way that the ridges are folded, quote-unquote, into the uh, ceramic makes it look like it's a piece of origami paper. It's like looks very delicate, looks very beautiful, and like fragile, but it's also um, very precise, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're you right. Know? That's a good word. Yeah. Um, it's the thing I broke a couple weeks ago. Yeah, RIP. <laughs> Ripped uh, Henry's I like, origami I like, I had a couple of them, but I like I like DM'd origami on Instagram with a picture of it, kind of like trying to put the pity play, <laughs> and they just LOL'd. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did they really? I think. Or no, they just did, they did the cry face or whatever. Oh, whatever. no. But it's okay. I wasn't upset. They're <laughs> a great company. You should totally support them. Love origami. Um, and then finally, like, we just talked about the siphon, but specifically 1925, coffee siphon released the first siphon in Japan. Um... Nell drip, I guess, is another popular method, uh, which required a lot of time and patience yeah. and maintenance and was used by a lot of Kisaten owners um, to showcase the craftsmanship that they had. But then in 1973, Coffee Siphon Co. created the Kono 
paper filter dripper, which combined the flavor that the nail drip would provide uh, with the efficiency of paper filters. So. Oh yeah, I'm looking at nail drip. And then yeah. of course we have the classic Yama Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone is in the cold brew, actually the shop we work at uses a Yama Tower, Kyoto Tower. And it's basically like a giant slow drip pour over method for cold brew. And so we use typically single origin coffee because we don't dilute the Kyoto Tower as much. But like right now we typically do 340 grams of kind of fine, like fine, finer ground coffee and then water drips on it from a, from a top chamber. It is one drop every second and a half, and it's about a 12 to 15 hour process mm-hmm. where basically water is dripping over coffee. Think, think of a really, 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 really slow pour over. <laughs> I've heard some people do, like when they do the cold brew Yama Towers, they do it like for at least 24 hours. And so, I mean, it just really depends on how you want to do it, but it's I'm definitely- I'm going to buy one really bad. It's definitely, I mean, it's a tower, so it's like pretty big. I would say it's what, like- Two and a half, three feet. Yeah, it's like half of my size. I'm six one. So like two. Well, yeah, so yeah, feet. like three feet. So it's basically it's two tall. towers is Henry. <laughs> so if you want a Henry, you could buy two towers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so initially, all of these methods that we mentioned were limited to Kisaten culture, um, and so only a few coffee enthusiasts would use these methods outside of Japan. But in the last few years. These Japanese drippers and siphon brewing methods have entered the spotlight. So a lot of West Coast U.S. coffee brewers, such as like Intelligentsia, um, as well as participants of the World Barista Championship, they've started to adopt these methods. And so this change was also helped by Hario, which we mentioned earlier, who began heavily marketing outside of Japan, which is a very bold move for a traditionally domestic Japanese company. Mm. Um, and they emphasized their design and material and catered to the Western coffee culture. So super, super interesting. Um, and really quick before we go into uh, talking about the challenges behind Kisaten culture and coffee in Japan, um, I want to save this moment for our ad break. Ad break. Da, 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 da. So we are sponsored by Out the Dough in um, Concord, Yo, California. Out the Dough. I got the bros. I'm putting that cookie dough on my toes. Oh. <laughs> so, Just kidding. I can't. Yeah, I like the rap. But <laughs> we are, Out the Dough. Out the Dough. So we are sponsored by Out the Dough. Uh, and so when your sweet tooth craving hits, Out the Dough has got you covered. Uh, so they have over a dozen edible cookie dough flavors. Um, it's like the nostalgic flashback to sneaking a taste of cookie dough that in just one bite away. Their products are made with natural and simple ingredients that you can actually pronounce. Oh, see, look at that. This family-owned and operated business handcrafts their products in... With pasteurized. With, with pasteurized and heat-treating ingredients, making their cookie doughs completely safe to eat. Yeah, so because typically when you make cookies at home, you eat it with the raw egg in there, and that's not that safe to eat. But these are completely safe to eat with, again, pasteurized and heat-treated ingredients. So you can dig into any of their classic flavors like chocolate chip and snickerdoodle oh. or... Or live on the wild side with the, their most eccentric and original creations like Greek goddess or twisted chocoholics dream. <laughs> so you can buy gift packs for uh, with as little as two pints all the way up to sampler packs of 9, 12, or even 24 jars. Or you can create your own custom assortment um, with any, any way you like it. And 
Don't worry. Dough. Oh, do. Dough. Do. Not, not worry. worry. Sorry, see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> Those of you with gluten and dairy allergies or sensitivities, uh, don't worry, you're not left out. Um, the owner, Angelo, uh, is also recently gluten and dairy-free. And so with up to a dozen vegan or gluten-free options, you can also indulge in this once forbidden sweet treat. But that's not all. Oh, my God. <laughs> Be sure to head over to outthedough.com slash backslash shop and use coupon code Asian Coffee Co. at their checkout for $15 off your first order. That's out the dough or O-U-T. That's out the T-H-E, the dough, D-O-U-G-H. Dots, but don't spell it dot, dot com <laughs> slash shop. And then use the coupon code AZN Coffee Co. Again, AZN, not Asian, AZN Coffee Co. At checkout for $15 off your first order, exclusion supply. Visit <laughs> outthedo.com for details. <laughs> You're really good at that. <laughs> um, again, Out the Dough, it's an edible, bakeable, and shareable cookie dough. So happy eating. And again, we're going to put that coupon code in um, our show notes, and we'll also put it in our Instagram post for this episode so that you know what to do. Um, and then also... Uh, we're going to post a, another graphic as well so that, uh, you guys can see and, um, and like link, link, uh, out the dough in our, uh, Instagram posts and like social media posts and stuff. But yeah, so definitely go check them out. Thanks Angelo and out the dough for sponsoring this episode. Out the dough, bro. Don't put it, don't put it on your toes. Like I said, when I was rapping, (laughs) so eat it. the show bro <laughs> all right anyway back to japan challenges these Accepted. are challenges, challenges. well wow. i think every asian asian coffee growing country has had its challenges they're all unique mm-hmm. and japan's is wild you, so. so honestly this one makes me kind of sad but the kisaten culture since the third wave coffee movement has become a very fashionable trend in japan uh and while that's a good <clears> thing on the flip side, the number of kisaten have been declining as both owners and the customer base are aging. Mm. So it's kind of what we talked about when we talked about China, too. Like, a lot of the younger generations are coming in with, although kisaten are typically known as cafes, they're ma- mainly known for, like, traditional uh, tea drinking and mm. like coffee and, like, kind of coffee lovers. But it's not, like, a specialty shop. You yeah, know, yeah, that's what you're saying. And we understand it. So the younger generations are bringing in specialty coffee shops, but they're not quite kisaten. However, um, the third wave coffee movement gains traction as, as it gains traction. We also see a renewed focus on kisaten. Hmm. So there's a strong overseas interest that look into the unique history of Japan. And some kisaten owners say that they have a vast increase in the number of customers that visit from overseas. So many specialty coffee enthusiasts are engaging in kisaten tourism. So actually, in fact, James Freeman, who's the founder of Blue Bottle Coffee, which is a huge coffee company in the United States, um, was very heavily inspired by his uh, experience with kisaten. And so with that being said, the Japanese people have also started to re-engage with kisaten. And so during the second wave movement, the um, coffee started to go back and forth between uh, appreciating kisaten and its place in Japanese culture. And so the arts and craftsmanship, the movements, the pace, the atmosphere, the ambience, all of those things that that we value in Japan huh. um, appear in tea ceremonies or in coffee making. And so now the recent years of the younger generations of Japanese cafe owners embrace more of the concepts of kisaten, but also adopt 
third third wave coffee elements. Um, and so they're they're capturing these trends, but are remaining faithful to the traditional culture. So that's sick. Uh, all that's to say is like. Kisa tens are kind of dying out, but there there is a, a select few of people that are so willing to like hold dear to that. So I think I think if this younger generation is like willing to put in the work and the mm-hmm. time, Kisa mm-hmm. can get back on its feet. Definitely, you know, if that if that makes sense. Definitely. And then we see the climate and agriculture of Japan that we kind of talked about earlier. And what's the name? <laughs> Takeaki Enomoto. Enomoto. He founded the Tokyo University of Agriculture, and he tested the possible cultivation in the subtropical climate of the... <laughs> Ogasawara Islands, of which the is... 620 miles south of Tokyo. Um, however, so he founded, these, he founded the, the Tokyo University of Agriculture, and he tested... You know, the cultivation in these islands and the climate and whatnot to grow coffee, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and the islands are hot and humid with a relatively flat terrain, um, but often they're on the path of typhoons, making the region extremely difficult for coffee trees to grow um, or coffee shrubs to grow. And, and a reminder, cook, uh, Japan's an island. Right. And so, chain the, of islands. so that, yeah, so that, that makes sense while there's typhoons and whatnot. But in the summer of 1993, Tan, is that Tanjiro? Tanjiro. Tanjiro. Tanjiro Tokuda. Founded in Ada Farm, Ada, Ada Farms in the Kunigami Village. Yep, there you go. Yes. <laughs> um, he began growing papayas, and in 2010, he began growing coffee trees or coffee yeah. shrubs. Well, so, so, so I forgot to keep writing after this part, but it's important to note that this is on Okinawa and not um, on the like main island of Japan. Okay. So Sick. Okinawa, as you guys kind of remember, is a slightly different part of the island. It is the um, I can't remember if it's south or north. I want to say it's the southernmost part. Anyway, all that's to say is technically Japan as an island can't grow coffee just because, again, it's really hot and humid and it's like pretty flat terrain and coffee typically needs to grow on a higher elevation. So it just isn't a favorable environment to grow. But they've tried. So Taijiro Tokuda tried um, growing on Okinawa. And so he started in 2010 with, with papaya trees and stuff. But... He, f- he really had a lot of struggles because in Okinawa, the humidity is high all year round and there's no dry season. So when the summer comes, there's no rainfall. And so mm-hmm. his clay-like red soil at his farm was dense and the roots didn't easily settle and then there were typhoons. And so it basically he just experienced like devastating effects year after year after year, especially when the typhoons came and uprooted a large part of his coffee and actually almost partially destroyed his house, which oh is kind gosh. of crazy. So, and we're getting all this information, by the way, from Standart Magazine, which Standard. is a great coffee magazine um, that... Napkins, our, glitter, and coffee. Our friend Austin um, subscribes to. And so this is the uh, spring 2021 edition as well. So it's a fairly recent uh, article that came out. But he, Tokuda-san is still... Oh, sorry, I said Tokuda-san. Mr. Tokuda is um, still very committed to uh, he, his passion with coffee. He says, quote, I immediately fell in love with coffee as a plant and a drink. When I grow attached to something, I just can't let it go. And I am moved by the fact that I can produce it with my bare hands. Um, so basically he was saying, like, he really, really enjoys coffee and wants to figure out a way to make it work, which I think is so fun and so important. And he's not the only one. So in... Uh, 1986, another producer in Okinawa, which is Serato Coffee, was found in Urasoe City by Naruhito Suyoshi, uh, who inherited this business from his father. Um, so they used to run uh, coffee shops and provide wholesale roasted beans to cafes in Okinawa. 
uh, it, while importing green beans. And mm. his uncle emigrated to Brazil to set up a coffee farm there, which is really cool. So in the 2010s, following the rise of specialty coffee, they started roasting on a small like trial basis, and um, they started end up growing coffee like in their in their garden, like for fun. Oh shoot! And so it had some it had grown some cherries. Uh, so there was basically like a small level of success there. Uh, and it tasted pretty great, they said. And so, needless to say, all of all of the coffee that's grown in Japan right now is still in the very, very early, early baby, baby state, like infant stages. Yeah, it's like it's like you're you're like two months in the womb right now, dude. Yeah, like <laughs> super, super, super baby stages. And so, but it's not to say that it's impossible to grow coffee in Japan. So, in the next five, ten years, they're going to be. Well, yeah. They're going to be toddlers and then teens <laughs> and then adolescent coffee. No, adolescent comes before teen. Wait, it does? Yeah. <laughs> That's what, okay. What about preteen? I don't know. Anyway, all that's to say, though. So there's a couple worth mentioning, like Ada Farm, Serato Coffee, and Miyade Coffee. And these are mainly, again, in the southern part of Japan, in Okinawa, and those chains of islands. But Japan has a really diverse culture of fermentation, and this is why I'm really excited to eventually, hopefully, try coffee grown in Japan because their fermentation process ranges from things like soy sauce to tea, and the aroma of sweetness that emerge from this fermentation are specifically unique to Japanese taste. And so yes. imagine all these types of fermentation processes, but with coffee. That's so sick, and it's with Japanese palates. Yes, exactly. So wow. Make your palates... Fermented. Just fermented. Make your palates. Why that doesn't make any sense? Make your palates Asian. <laughs> oh, yo, that's kind of dope. Um, anyway. Well, what are some? We have some specialty shops in Japan that is really dope. We have the Roastery. Excuse me, by Nosy. Uh, we'll link their Instagram in their show notes. We have Shadi. I can't say that. I'm Saru, sorry. Saru Tahiko Coffee. Saru Tahiko Coffee. And all these shops really look like they <clears throat> care about specialty coffee. And Definitely. the interiors are dope. Then of Trunk Coffee, of course, mm-hmm. um, who started the Origami Dripper. All incredible shops. Obviously, we've never been to them, but we've like looked them up. Great reviews. And it seems like people have really enjoyed the, the emphasis and the value that they put in coffee. Definitely. Um, one one call to action that we we're kind of struggling with is, well, first of all, coming up with them one. But second of all, like, I think for us in the United States, it's a little bit hard for us to bring a call to action because, you know, for most of the countries that we've talked about so far, the easiest call to action is buy coffee from that country. But for Japan, since they don't technically grow coffee in that country, I think maybe it would be to start embracing um, Japanese kisaten culture in the United States, you know? like. I think about the Japan towns that I would go to um, in like California, like in LA or in San Francisco, and like just immersing myself in the Japanese culture as much as I could. And like, I know that there are some people who think that like made cafes or like manga cafes are weird or whatever and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time too, like as we talked about, this is a big part of Japanese culture and the original Kisaten culture. Or even like, <clears throat> there's a Japanese tea garden in Richmond that I like have been meaning to go to. Really? And yeah. And so it's like, I didn't even know that, you know? And had I known that, I shoot, I would have been there day one, me, you know? Dude. What the heck? And so with that being said, or even like DC, DC has a huge Japanese culture because DC has cherry blossoms and that's a, a wonderful like time in the springtime in Japan. And so. They, they do like cherry blossom festivals yeah. and pair that with Japanese culture. So anyway, all that's to say is like coffee in Japanese culture 
in Japan is huge. And so therefore, in the United States, we can also be celebrating coffee culture by celebrating Japanese culture. Bro, just watch the anime. Dude, watch anime. Honestly, that's really that, that's Honestly, the call here, to action. Yeah. Here's the thing. Show <laughs> Moon is long, Naruto is long, One Piece is long, they're great shows. Just just watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. It's an easy that's watch. That's long too? What are you talking it's about? 50, like 53 episodes. Nah, dude. Start off with something small. Honestly, like Death Nander is like 30 episodes. That's easy. That's heavy. That's an easy watch. That's heavy. Gurren Lagann. That's like 24 episodes. Yu Yu Hakusho. Okay, that's like 105 episodes. Get out of here, girl. Watch all of the animes that we just mentioned. Start with Studio Ghibli films. How about that? That's easy. Okay, that's, a, that's an hour right. and a half commitment. How's Weaving Castle and your Ponyo, gonna... you got it. Yeah, Spirited okay. Away, you got it. Yes. But here's our last call. We're not drinking it right now. But Japanese iced coffee is a great way to brew coffee. We actually do a Japanese style here at our cafe. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to brewing with hot water mm -hmm. as we normal. But then you're brewing it on top of ice. So you brew your coffee on top of ice. Flash cooling refers to dramatically decreasing the coffee's temperature immediately after brewing. So brewing over ice. This, profi, this, this process locks the aromatics into the coffee and prevents oxidation, keeping the coffee tasting fresh. So basically, to accomplish experience, you're brewing half the pour over, over water with ice in the craft. And the goal is to extract the same amount of solvents using half the amount of water, creating a more concentrated solvent. As the ice melts and cools the coffee, it regulates the solution back to a normal ratio to create that concentrated to create that concentrated solvent. You're gonna kind of use like a finer grind to de to increase the amount of surf surface area contract contact between I can't talk to it between the grounds and the water. <laughs> so it comes down to this. You're dividing the water into equal parts, ice and hot water. Mm -hmm. So brew over ice, serve over ice. Or if you're doing like a latte, we shake it with ice, pour over ice. Um, or use a little bit more ice so it half of it melts. Mm -hmm. But yeah, brew over ice, serve over ice is what it comes down to. So lastly, we want to just tie this off with some announcements. Um, don't forget that our website is live. So please it go. It is live. So go check out our website and go support us there. Um, check us out. And if you don't check us out, then you're going to pout. And you can buy our tote bags or you'll also be a hag because you want to walk with the swag. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so our website is live. We are at aznncoffeeco.com. Yes, we have a .com because we're freaking cool like that. You can buy our tote bags there like Henry Wrapped. <laughs> and yeah. you can also read a little bit more about us and our uh, partners that we partner with. Um, and you can also contact us there. So if you have any suggestions for the show or if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, like please reach out to us. Yeah. And um, also... We would love to know your thoughts on um, so, uh, on future episodes that we can do. Or, um, again, if you have coffee shop recommendations that you know about, please let us know. I would love to know about more coffee shop recommendations, yeah, especially only, in the United States. We're only two Asian baristas. Yeah, we need and more. And we're, we're a co. Yeah, we are a co. We are a collaborative. We are a collective. We are all the co's you can think of, you know. Um, lastly, uh, we want to thank Uzu Han for letting us use his music. <laughs> I, I got to meet him, actually. Yeah, bro, I'm peanut oh, butter and jealous. So cool! I got to meet him. He's great. Peanut James butter Tom. and jealous. He is great. I peanut butter and jealous. You. Dude, he's great. Um, and thank you again to Angelo and Out the Dough for sponsoring this episode. Uh, don't forget to use our code AZN Coffee Co for fifteen percent. I'm sorry, fifteen dollars off uh, your order. 
Um, and we'll link all of this stuff in the show notes, so don't worry about Do you remembering like all of this. creamy peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Creamy, of course, always. Nah, I'm crunchy, bro. What the heck you gotta is get wrong that crispy you? stuff in your teeth. Ew. Get all that right. crunch, crunch. Ew. All right. Anyway. Would you rather eat a crunch, like a crunch bar, Henry. or milk? Henry, chill. Sorry, I'm like, we're, we're, I'm tired. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's it for us. Um, thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Bye. Oh, 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 oh.